Good morning. <laughs> the purpose of the gift. We're in a sermon series called One Purpose. Last week was graduation Sunday. We talked about the purpose of work. This is the purpose of the gift. And in order to get into this, we first need to establish that everything that we have and everything that we are that is good is from God. James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Maybe you have a relationship or have had a relationship with someone and you've said these words to someone. Oh yeah, I don't talk to them anymore. They've changed. Maybe even when you came to Christ and began to walk with the Lord, people would talk about you in that way. Yeah, we don't hang out anymore. They've changed. The God that we serve is a God that does not change. No matter what the narrative of the world tells you that we've got to adapt and adjust and the words that were written thousands of years ago don't really apply to our situation today. You see, if there is a God who does not change, then his word does not change. It's not an application translation problem. It's a heart problem. The second commandment talks about graven, graven images and idols. You see, when we try to change God to be what we see him as, we have just become guilty of idolatry. Many of us find ourselves even today in society and even in our own lives, we, we find ourselves wanting to do this and wanting to do that. And so we, we build a brand new box and we put God in it and say, this is now who God is at this season in my life. God is not that. That is an idol and a creation that you made. It is the epitome of pride. So in order for us to understand the purpose of the gift, some of you may be feeling like, I thought today was going to be a fun message. It is. But we first have to establish that God is good and everything good comes from God. And as soon as we accept that truth, then we can actually start at ground zero with our lives. And if God is good, then therefore everything that is good flows from God. Let's look at the scriptures to affirm that truth. There are many. I'm just going to read through a few. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. First Chronicles 16, 34, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Mark 10, 18, no one is good but one. That is God. Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. <laughs> he's good and he's not done yet with us. Amen. 
Psalm 33, 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 143, 10. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Nehemiah 9, verse 20. You are a you also gave your good spirit to instruct them. And do not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. You see, God is not only good, but what he does is good. Psalm 69, uh, 69 16, hear me, O Lord, for your loving goodness, your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. The last one, Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. You know, so God knows you by name. And when you trust in him, he is not only your protector, your provider, but he is the warrior in your corner. You see, he's not a coach to tell you how to box. He's, he's standing beside you in the ring. Can you catch that picture? He's not yelling from the corner. Yeah, hit him with a right. Yeah, hit him with a left. No, no, no. Y'all know what shadow boxing is, right? We'll call this spirit boxing. If, if the Holy Spirit lives within us, then we're not out there just swinging aimlessly trying to win the battles of life. The Holy Spirit is in us. We know, he, he shows us how to fight the weapons, uh, with weapons of warfare against the spiritual battles that we face every day. God is not a, a far off presence that says, okay, you're born, good luck. Maybe you'll make it to heaven. When we choose to follow him and make him the king of our life, he truly wants to take leadership in that. Follow me. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, it isn't until we get distracted that we forget that God is good. And when we wander away from God, we blame him for the bad things that happen. And God is sitting there saying, you've been gone for months. Why are you blaming me? I put it to you this way. There's an argument out there that says, how could a good God allow such bad things to happen in our world? Let me put it to you this way. I worked really hard. And maybe you're as a parent here, you've worked really hard to raise your children but at some point, they have to decide whether or not they're going to walk in the path of righteousness like you've trained them to walk. And ain't nobody or shouldn't anybody point the finger back at you to say, this is your kid and they're making these decisions. They are making those decisions in their own will, in their own power, in their own authority. Now, if you messed up as a parent, thank God he's merciful and he'll help you out. Amen? But why do we keep blaming God for sin in people's lives? It's the whole, it's the whole idea that, 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 that the blame that we cast is you're a good God and bad things happen, so therefore you must not be good. It is a terrible logical reasoning. It doesn't make any sense. You see, because if we could just catch a glimpse spiritually of what the Garden of Eden was like, then it was good. Because God made it that way. And then sin crept into the world. So how could a good God allow bad things to happen? Well, people. God created people. <laughs> I 
I was playing golf the other day and with a man in our church. His name is Paul. He comes to the early service. And, but if you see him, uh, just identify men. If you want to play golf in the, with the group, every now and then I'll go out there with them. And he, he, I was trying to figure out the best way to describe him. He, he looks like he's, he always looks like he just got back from the beach. That's Paul. If you know Paul, is that right? That's pretty accurate. Big grin. Anyway, we're golfing. I'm enjoying the day. Hey, what's the most challenging thing in the ministry? Now I'm working. <laughs> I thought about it. People. I mean, it kind of summed, it's kind of summed up to that, right? What's the most challenging thing in your life, would you say? People. <laughs> right? But it's interesting that God knows that it is not good for us to be alone. He's created us to interact with one another. There's something about interacting with people that humbles you. Oh, come on. If you don't know now, you will. So sometimes when I have those interactions or those challenges, uh, uh, the purpose of the gift, this is a gift. God, you gave me this person. You gave me this challenge. The purpose of the gift. The Lord is good and everything we have is good. So let's now strip away the goodness of God for a moment and look at our lives. It's not good. If we're, le if we're left to just us, we must accept that left to our own design, we will ultimately bring our own demise. My mother was telling me a story of when she was in college in the 1500s. <laughs> She's not here right now, so I'm good. <laughs> anyway, she was in college. She was in a psychology class. And the professor asked three questions at the very first time they got together. He asked three questions. First of all, Raise your hand if you believe that people are born good. Well, all the hands in the class went right up except for one. Mrs. Kathy Bird. As she sat there and looked around, the professor asked a second question. Raise your hand now if you believe that people are born bad. Well, there was one hand that went up real high, and all the other ones went down. Third question. All the hands are down. Raise your hand if you believe in God. One hand. Miss Kathy Bird. Why? Because the scripture tells us that the heart of man is inherently wicked in Jeremiah. You see, we're in need of a savior. Pastor, how could you say that people, people are good? No, they're not. And if you really get down to it, you begin to see, and I've used this illustration before, so if you've heard it before, you just tolerate it. But if you've ever served in the nursery, I mean, we, we work hard to create a safe, loving environment, but that two-year-old's throwing that truck across the room. Why? Because there is a sinful nature, there is a badness about us that needs saving. And if God is all good and everything He does is good and the gifts that He gives us are good and we are bad, then here's where the logic leads us to. 
that Jesus didn't just save us for eternity. The gift of salvation is the greatest gift of ever that's ever been given. But salvation is not just so someday we can roam the streets of gold and eat at the Lamb's Supper and live in mansions and wear crowns and swim in the river of life. We're not just saved for that. Yes, that's part of it. That's, That's the reward for us. But how many of you guys... Need to, uh, need to understand, or how many of you guys maybe have forgotten that maybe I even myself am looking. Have you ever heard the term so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? Let me just stay in my corner and be good. No, no. You see, if God's given us good gifts and He is good, then what are we to do in this lifetime? What? You can't yell from heaven, I told you you should have got saved. Now look at you and go back to the street of gold. God's heart is that all would be saved. Here's salvation. Now tell somebody else about it. I learned that interesting thought that Christians may need three things to grow in their faith. Scripture, fellowship with the believers, which by the way, COVID-19 tried to steal. And an occasional tough season. Catch that third one. I'm stagnant in my faith. Lord, grow me. Huh? Be careful. Because <laughs> the growth will come. But it may not be easy. You see, gold is purified in extreme heat. And in order for God to make the gift in you grow and and to bring you to where He wants you to be, it may be a painful experience. But if my prayer... I just told Kelly, we had a little day trip to the mountains yesterday and I hesitate sometimes when I vocalize words in prayer because it's gotten me in trouble before. Like, I'm never doing this. I'm never doing that. And here I am doing all that. I'm never planting a church. I'm never merging a church. I'm never, never, never. Here I am. Anyway. But I said these words, and I even hesitate to say it now. It's scary. Father, in harvest and in hardship, I will trust in you. And can I just be out there and open with you? The last hardship I had put me in a hospital, but life is good. And I'm thankful for his goodness. And it's a little scary. Oh, it's a lot scary to think of what What kind of hardship may need to happen in my life to get me ready for what's next? It's tempting for me to say, God, I'm okay right where I am. You somebody else. (laughs) But the purpose of the gift is not to be sat on or to hide or to harbor. The purpose of the gift is that it is to be used. Number one, 
Let's ask ourselves, what gift do I already have? What gift do I already have? In Exodus chapter 3, we see the story of Moses in the burning bush. Moses is on the run. He finds himself in Midian. He had murdered an Egyptian slave driver. And he finds himself in the wilderness doing the job of a shepherd. Comes across a bush that is burning but not yet being burned up. He notices it. He begins to walk close to it. A voice comes from the bush. The Bible says an angel of the Lord began to speak from the bush. But it was the voice of God Himself. Take off your shoes. It's holy ground. He does that. And, Mo and Moses' reaction to the bush is after he does that, he looks away because he does not want to be judged. He, he knows that there's got to be, be a, not only a holy respect, but there's got to be a fear of this Almighty God. You see, I, I've kind of gotten away from uh, when, when the Bible says fear God, it's just talking about respect. Yes, it's talking about respect, but fear is okay too. Can I tell you something? I serve the Lord Jesus. I serve God with all of my heart, and I have a fear of who God is. He is an awesome God. Moses uh, approaches the burning bush and, and hears a voice that instructs him that he is going to be used to go and deliver the children of Israel. The same Egypt that he was in, he is now to go back to. Can you imagine? I ran away because they were going to kill me, and you're telling me to go back. Guess what happens when I go back? They're going to kill me. You see, God isn't worried about all these obstacles that we throw up His way. God, I can't do that because this. And? You've picked the wrong person, God. I know you haven't considered these things. <laughs> God, you may not be aware of the situation, but let me fill you in. The audacity that we approach the Lord sometimes. So Moses is beginning that process, and he starts with these objections. I'll start with the one that, uh, to me, speaks the most, the stutter that turned to a mighty speech. In verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses pleaded with the Lord. Have you ever found yourself doing that? God, please don't choose me. <laughs> you know, as we're walking around with the notepads, recruiting to serve in ministry. Oh, don't choose me. Hiding behind the plant, fake plants in the lobby. <laughs> the kids pastor was in there, the offering talk. They're getting, they need volunteers. <laughs> I know none of y'all do that. But verse 10, Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. As if God were to say, Oh yeah, you know what? I didn't think about that. You don't say, Moses. But it's a stutter that turned into mighty speech. When you read about the gift that he already had, it was in him even though he wasn't walking in it. And here's how it progressed. God made concession. He said, take your brother with you. He'll talk for you. And as you read through the story, the plagues, he goes in front of Pharaoh and Aaron walks over to Moses and Moses says, all right, tell him this. And then Aaron says, Pharaoh? 
The Lord says. And Moses is standing back there listening, watching this thing happen. But about halfway through the plagues, Aaron goes to Moses and say, okay, tell me what is it. Moses says, I got it. Ooh, I'll tell him myself. See, it was always there. And God allowed, he made room for him to grow into that. Amen? Somebody's got to listen to this today. You, you may be in here today. Something is in you. You know that you know that you are called, you are anointed, you are appointed, you are supposed to be about this work. Ah, I'm not ready. You never will be until you take the first step. Let's go to the next thing, the dormant gift. The gift that was in him, in him but was not being used yet. Well, God used two miracles he used the staff and the snake, but the other miracle was the leprous hand. He said, put your hand in your cloak. He pulled it out, it was leprous. He put it back in, he pulled it back out, and then it was completely healed, and God was showing him to his objection. God, they're not gonna believe me. What are they gonna do? They're gonna say, we didn't, you didn't really hear from God. Okay, I got two things I'm gonna let you use as a miracle to show them. It's like this, great potential does not become great progress until we, have, until we use what we already have. Great potential does not become great progress until we use what we already have. Now, when I was writing that, I expected a little more. Amen. It's in you. Have you ever, my, my, my mom heard so many times, she could probably count she probably lost count. The teachers in my life that said, he's got such great potential, but he doesn't fill in the blank. Anybody else like that? Can we get past the potential and actually start making some progress here? It speaks of how God created you, your personality, your talents, your tendencies. God chose you, selected you, knows you. And what you think is an obstacle may be a, a setback. God can use that because there's a verse that I read somewhere that in, in my weakness, he's made strong. You see, I think God takes great pleasure in using things that others may have even given up on. Testimony time, he used me. Took me off a Pepsi truck and put me to work. You see, sometimes we see the end result and don't know how it got there. <laughs> Consider how it got there for a minute. And know that a 16-year-old sitting on the back row of the church and an evangelist said, somebody in here is called to be a pastor. And I looked up for about two seconds. I was passing notes with my buddy on the back row. We didn't have phones back then. Passing notes on my buddy with the back row. Well, we did have phones, but they were push button and wrote. Anyway, passing notes. And then I, I passed a note, and I was writing down something to, re to respond. And the guy said it from the platform. I went, huh. So, Spirit of the Lord, that's you. All right. Went back to passing a note. Sometimes it doesn't take a burning bush if we're paying attention. But let me tell you something that I didn't do. I didn't schedule a meeting with the pastor and say, listen, I'm called. 
you need to invest in me to make me ready to be your boss. <laughs> For two reasons. Number one, that wasn't the appropriate response. Number two, the pastor was my father. So, <laughs> hey, Dad, I'm in charge now. I'm the captain now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Here's the truth you need to hang on to, take with you. The thing, the gift that you think is worthless, can't God do nothing with it? Moses is coming back and saying, I can't, I can't. Verse 1, chapter 4, Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? The Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A stick. <laughs> you see, that's the question we've got to ask today. What gift have I already been given? What is in my hand? And how can God use it for his glory? You know, people that get more gifted are people that are using the gifts they already got for the sake of the kingdom. That was number three. Number two, what is expected of me with my gift? First of all, to say something. Gospel is something to be shared, not hidden. Psalm 81.10, for it was... For, for it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it with good things. He's telling the people the words in the book of Psalms here. Don't forget all that I've done for you. And certainly don't be quiet about it. Somebody needs to know that I can feed their bellies. Somebody needs to know that I can deliver them from their enemies. Somebody needs to know that I can save them in a destitute situation. And yet we sit here quiet about it? Let's open our mouth and say, I serve a God who delivered me from addiction. I serve a God that saved my marriage. I serve a God that loves me. Open our mouth and let God fill it. Say something, please. The world is dying because we're quiet. Pastor, I don't want to offend. Offend them, please. Because maybe when their head hits the pillow, they're reminded of the words that you said and begin to be stirred in their spirit and God saves them. I want to offend people into heaven, not not offend them and leave them in hell. You with me? I'm sorry, I know I'm being a little bit more aggressive. If you were here at nine, that wouldn't have been a ba as bad for you. <laughs> this message is for somebody. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is telling his disciples, uh, and when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. When you're brought to trial, you see, if I'm in the group of disciples sitting around listening to Jesus, I'm going to say, well, um, just a minute. You said brought to trial. Can you, can you go back to that and explain a little bit about what that means? 
when we are brought to death. Not if. Jesus, I think you said when, too, also. If you would have said if, I wouldn't have even asked the question, but I feel like, guys, I feel like we need to ask the question. When we're brought to trial, can we we hear back uh, what, what you're saying there? You see, Jesus was trying to teach them about the Holy Spirit. They're caught up with the tribulation and the trial they're going to be facing. And isn't that the truth for some of our lives? That we get so focused on the thing, the distraction, the obstacle, that we miss the God who can take us over it. (laughs) The spiritual pity, pity party. And the Lord is saying, the Holy Spirit is there to help you. Second thing is do something. Say something and then do something. Positioning yourself to use your God-given gift. It's position, it's process, and it's a repentant heart. If the Lord shows you something that is coming that you're called to, the best thing you can do is not try to make that happen. It's to position yourself in a place where you can learn and grow and be ready for when that happens. Sometimes we get caught up with whatever that is And we waste years of our life that we could be preparing for that very thing. So when God tells me that I'm called to be a pastor and that I want to be an evangelist and I want to do this and I want to do that and somebody looks at me and says, no, don't do that. Just become a church staff member and learn. And so I become a kids pastor for 15 years. 15 years I had to deal with these kids. But looking back on it, pastoring the children and their families prepared me to pastor a church. Because I can tell you right now, testimony, I'm speaking the truth. If I knew what we were, where we would be today, then I would have tried to make this happen, and I would have completely messed it up. You see, God knows what you can handle. So he's just giving you enough. Take the next step, Amen. And a repentant heart. Listen, at Greater Life Church, we believe that everybody's a 10 at something. You need to be serving. You need to be doing something. Say, I'm new here today, Pastor. Okay, we'll do something. But our attitude, our posture, is not to throw you into a ministry that you're not prepared for. Our posture is to disciple you in such a way that you're ready to actually do ministry. Which is one of the reasons why we say you don't, I've heard people ask, hey, do I have to come here for six months before I do that or before I do this or three months before this and that? We don't have timelines. We have discipleship. And the reason is because everybody walks down a path that they need to be discipled in to be ready to serve. Amen? We want you to be in a spiritual place where you can serve and you can do great things for the kingdom of God. And we recognize that not everybody is at the same place. Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 is someone who did something. In Joshua chapter 2, we see a prostitute named Rahab living in Jericho. The Israelites are coming to take the promised land. And beginning in verse chapter 8, she she has hid two spies from Israel because Israel and and Joshua are outside of the city. They send these two, two spies to go check it out. Rahab takes them into her home and hides them away. Then she has a conversation with them in verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. (laughs) We are all afraid of you. 
everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made dry, a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to the Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab did something. She said, I'm on the losing side, and I'm not going to end my life that way. I'm going to get on God's side right here and right now. And can I tell you that I believe that God will raise up mighty warriors that are called and equipped and gifted to do such great things for the sake of the kingdom that the devil and the demons in hell itself will begin to have terror that their hearts will melt when they see you coming around a corner. I'm around this corner, and here they go. Oh, not that one. Not that one. It ain't about me. It ain't about you. It's about the Spirit of God that lives within me. Can we take some ground for the sake of the kingdom of God? Not only yes, we can, but we're gifted to do so. It's the purpose of our gift. And for far too long, we've just accepted living in Jericho in my sin. Invest something. Oh, I, I got to, if you don't know, the best part about the story of Rahab is that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, we find her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Ooh. <laughs> you see, that girl just didn't have an experience with God. She had a life-changing, and not only her. Ooh, this is good. She did something for the Lord, chose to be on the Lord's side, she was saved. Her house was built in the wall, but we know that the walls of Jericho fell down, right? So I don't know how it happened, but I picture her and her family sitting around eating pancakes. And then I hear the, they hear the, 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 the trumpet and the shouting, and then the wall is collapsing. And then I picture Rahab and her family floating down in that house built on the wall like a feather. Because God didn't just save Rahab because of what she chose to do. Rahab's whole family was saved. Invest something. What do I do with the gift he's given me? What's expected? Invest something. Matthew chapter 25 is a story where a ruler's going away and three servants come to him and the talent's as it's described in one translation, but it's also bags of silver and others. The point is, he gives them money with the expectation of taking good care of it. Two of the servants take good care of it by investing it and growing it, doing something with it. They invest it. One servant takes it and buries it because he's scared to lose it. I've always been fascinated with the third servant. And I've always kind of been a conflict about, he was scared to lose it, so it's better that he had it. And why would he be in trouble for, you see, because at the end of the day, the ruler come back and the two servants doubled what they were given. And the one servant that had the, the, 
the talent that he buried, it was taken from him and given to another servant. And I've often thought, well, they, I mean, they at least hung on to what they had. But can I tell you that Jesus is coming soon? And our responsibility is not to hang on to what we get, but to grow the kingdom by force. Amen? We are called to do greater things, not to sit back and enjoy where God has us. Amen? If you know me, you know I can't sit still. And sometimes that's a, that's a hard thing for people to realize. I'll share with you three things in just a moment. Big announcements. Let me wrap it up with this. What will happen if I use my gift for the glory of the Lord? Two things to consider, the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow, and you reap in the measure in which you sow. Your gift is not yours to sit on, to bury, to hide away. God, hey, listen, in Galatians 6, it talks about sowing bitterness and evil, and it's going to come back. If you're sowing that bitterness, you're not going to get joy. But if you're sowing what God's given you, a good gift, then it will come back to you and it will grow. Mark 10, uh, Mark 13 actually says that, talks about the seeds that Pastor Moises was speaking about earlier. The law of the harvest is 30, 60, and even 100 times more than been planted. Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together, make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, let me just put to bed the idea that this is just about money. Is it about money? It applies to money. When you're faithful with what God's given you, yes, he can trust you with more. But if you're given to get rich, you already missed the mark. <laughs> your your $1,000 seed on a credit card ain't gonna do nothing but get you $1,000 in debt. Hear me. And if you're watching it on TV and you're sowing that seed into good ground to buy planes for people, you better stop. I don't have a plane. I'm doing all right. <laughs> but it's not really about that. When you sow good relationships, you reap in good relationships. When you sow in prayer, you reap in miracles. When you sow in the word, you reap in spiritual growth. You see how this, uh, there's a law of the harvest that sowing and reaping are directly connected. And if you're sowing in your relationship with God, guess what? Your relationship with God's going to grow and grow and grow and grow. If you're sowing by faith and you're believing for God to do great things, guess what? You're going to have more faith next time it comes around to believe for even greater things. So use the gift, the law of the harvest. What will happen if I use my gift for the glory of the Lord? The beat goes on. We must live in a healthy tension between an urgency like Jesus is coming back tomorrow and a long-term plan like he's not coming for another hundred years. Here's how, it, here's how it flows. Jesus called the disciples unto himself. The disciples called the lost unto the church. Today, friends, the church must call the world unto, unto the gospel. <laughs> really excited to share with you the three things that are directly connected to this announcement, this message for Greater Life Church. Greater Life has been given a great gift. We're thankful. And we're not sitting on it. And I make people nervous. 
I like to do this. Let's go do this. Let's go do this. Squirrel. Spiritual squirrels all over the place. I walk down the hall on a Monday morning. Moises. I just keep walking. He comes in. Okay. <laughs> what are we doing? We're trying to be obedient. That's what we're doing. First of all, A couple of years ago, well, it was more years than that. I don't know how long ago it was. It's been several years. Peter Mockton, precious guy, shows up from California, starts attending church here. I learned from him that there was a Bible study that he was connected with on Sunday afternoons of Nepali people. And so I invited myself. I said, let me come share. So I went and shared at the Bible study. And I was able to share whatever I wanted because their pastor wasn't there that day. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> but I remember it. And I remember sharing my heart there and then getting a phone call later. Uh, Peter said, my, our pastor, Paul Darnell, is here today. We dedicated that little baby. Looking, look at him. He's eyes wide open, looking sharp. Anyway. And then we met in my office and had a conversation of our Nepali work believes that there's greater things. So can we come together? Can we begin to work together? And I'm, of course, I'm like, yeah, let's go. They've been having services on Sunday afternoons since that moment, really. It took us just a couple weeks to figure out how to make it work. They'll be one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons that the building that we're building back here will be using that on Sunday morning for that Nepali congregation as well. So Paul knows a guy named Amit in India. Paul comes to uh, the missions pastor and says, listen, we want to do something for missions. He's like, okay, go ahead and raise money. Mike, the missions pastor, comes to me. Hey, they want to raise money. Okay, we'll match it. They go off and raise thousands of dollars. I, didn't, I was like, what? What? So we matched it for missions, and we're able to get it to this guy, Amit, in India. I was able to FaceTime with him not long ago, and he's been sending me pictures through Facebook. So it wasn't long after that that I get a picture of a brother standing in front of a house with a banner that says GLC India. Wait a minute. <laughs> Watch this. Yeah. 
Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah. Our yes makes room for a miracle. GLC India already has two campuses. I'm not kidding. They are, they're making us look like we're standing still. The first pictures they sent me was this guy in multiple poses with a guitar. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's a, new, it's a new work. And there they are with a few dozen people. They just went on their first missions trip to Nepal. My heart, I just sent them a message today. Amit, I said, listen, thank you so much for sharing everything. We're so excited. I'm trying to figure out a way to get more funds your way and more resources your way. And then I come over and I talk to Paul and a precious member that's going in July to India. And I said, we're buying your ticket and we're gonna send a crate full of junk that you're gonna have to figure out a way to carry. (laughs) So we're making a list. Listen, I say that to say, I'm not bragging here. Who's There were people getting baptized and fed and lives being changed because a guy named Peter from California showed up and introduced me to Paul. And Paul said, we want to do something for India. And we just said yes with the gift that we've been given. Amen? The second thing, if you don't know by now, we've committed this year to plant two new campuses and Pastor Anthony and... Pastor Sheila, would you guys come up, please? The sharpest people in the church. I love, 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 love these precious people. And they can sing the roof off, by the way. I can't wait to hear them. If you weren't here on a worship night, Pastor Anthony was able to share um, his testimony some, but they had a a work that was growing and thriving and then COVID, they were meeting in a school and of course COVID shut it down. Happened to a lot of churches. And you may not know this, but Greater Life Church is now, I think eight different churches that have come together under Greater Life. And there's a a merger, a, a, a unity anointing upon the work here at Greater Life. And so we're welcoming, first of all, Pastor Anthony and Sheila, and we have Brother Broderick here, welcoming them as part of the family and welcoming their church family into our church family. But we're going to launch them back out to do a campus called uh, In the Mora Neighborhood. Mora is the old Gar Memorial neighborhood. When we moved out here, it was my heart that God, these people need a work. They need a spirit-filled work. Let us come back someday. So I called my friend Anthony, and I called him at a time where he was trying to figure out what's next in his life, and uh, he'll be preaching next week on Father's Day. He'll be bringing the Word, so get ready. And I called him and said, hey, let's, let's come together. And uh, so here they are today, but in October, October the 4th, which is the day that Nehemiah finished the building of the walls, October 4th, we've designated as our launch date for our new campus in the Mora neighborhood. This is a picture of a strategic campaign. We're going to put yard signs up here that say Mora needs life, needs hope, needs this, that, without any church name on it. And they can go to moraneeds.com and they'll see a, a precious, a wonderful video of vision from these precious people. But guys, I'm telling you what, I believe that this work is going not, not only to be very successful, but I believe there's going to be so many lives changed through this ministry. So would you reach your hands up here as we pray a blessing 
over this precious couple. Lord Jesus, have your way. I pray in the name of Jesus that every obstacle and every distraction would be completely removed. Lord, that this would be so easy that we would look back and know that it's a miracle from God Almighty. Lord, that you would help us. You promised, God, that the burden that we carry when we walk with you is light. And so, Lord, I declare right now that victories are already won, that the space that we need is already provided, and that the anointing and the team and the resources is already there, there for the taking. God, let this be a Jericho moment that we walk in and occupy the land. In Jesus' name, and Lord, I pray, like in Jericho, that there would be someone that would say, I'm on board. And Lord, that Pastor Anthony and his precious wife, Sheila, that they would walk in this anointing of incredible hope and expectation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Let's welcome this precious people to our family. Love y'all. Amen. It's so funny, for weeks now, I've had people say, hey, who's, who's the... Who's the gentleman and his wife been sitting with you up there on the front row? <laughs> it's Anthony. We're going to talk about him. It's Sheila. We're going to talk about it later. So that's it. We're launching. That's one of two new campuses here. And GLC India is technically a campus. So we got there. But I don't think God's done yet. We'll see. We're just saying yes. The third and final thing is something that is on my heart. Um. Every year at the end of the year, I'll ask the staff to write down, it would be cool if, and then they fill in whatever blank they want to fill in. Kind of a dream statement. Man, it'd be cool if God did. And I used to think about this concept that way. But a few weeks ago, it went from that type of statement to, in my heart, in my spirit, this is not a cool thing, this is a need In the fall, we're launching Greater Life Academy. Amen. It's not because we don't have enough to do, but it's a need. Church families are taking their kids to school, and they're in an atmosphere being inundated with lies. And we, we can't let that happen to our families. And I know, well, what about all the Christian schools? Listen, I've called them all. Their waiting lists a mile long. Well, what, what, what about the, the charter schools? The charter schools, if you, don't, if you don't know, are going quickly down a path. What about homeschool? Well, that's what this is. It's a homeschool tutoring program, but your child can come here, ages 4K all the way up to high school, can come here. We've got this new building that will house this project. Can come here. We'll show you as a parent, if you're in a public school system or if you're confused about it, we're going to teach you how to create a homeschool. And one of the big questions that I had actually is, my kid stinks at math, and so do I which that's, that's my testimony. You know what? I just had a conversation yesterday. I got a math specialist tutor that's coming on board. It's happening. That was the one thing I was like, Lord, we need this. It's, it's the strangest thing that we would need, but 
math specialist coming on board, person smart as a whip. Homeschool tutoring program, here's kind of what it looks like. I'm sharing you this because we're sending out a survey this week to you, the church family, so you can help us figure out the navigation of the launching of this. Four and 5K half-day program, Christian atmosphere. Every Monday, there's a chapel by our ministry leaders that these kids are able to participate in. And guess what? We're gonna preach Jesus. Full-time and part-time. You see the prices there? My understanding is that's way less than any Christian school in the area. Arts. PE, Abeka is the curriculum that we're endorsing. We're gonna teach our, our teachers, our tutors, how to do this. Trained tutors, extended care options. Here's, here's where it brought, it brought me to the, the conclusion of got to do this. That I asked myself, if you had kids right now this age, what would you do with them? I couldn't get them into a Christian school Charter school waiting lists are too long to even get in anymore. I can't homeschool. I got a job. I probably could. I don't think anybody would fire me. But anyway. <laughs> but I can't, I can't do that. It's not an option. Kelly and I both work. I'd be desperate for a solution. Our targets is two people. Number one, homeschool families. Maybe you're a homeschool mom or you're a homeschool family. You just need a couple days. We have that option. Public school families. Did you know that non-religious families are also fed up? Taking their kids to school and saying, I can't take it anymore. I gotta take my kids somewhere else. This is ridiculous. And I just got the tagline for it in between services. I need to write it down so I don't forget it. But I'll say it on live stream. We can look it up. Greater Life Academy. Education a greater way. Somebody write it down. Amen. Amen. So, we certainly need your support, but we need your prayers because I believe that this is not just going to be a, a safe Christian environment for kids. I believe this is a tool for evangelism and people are going to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we're going to push back against the kingdom of darkness for the sake of the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity, the gift that you've given us facilities. I pray, God, as we're looking and leaning in towards the, the details of this program, I pray that you would work all of that out. God, build our faith in this moment so we could look back and say, look at what God has done. Lord, every square foot of this facility and the future building that's being opened is yours. Help us to be good stewards of the gift that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.